Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Here we will delicately and tactfully walk through each psychological issue. Psych! This podcast is meant for entertainment purposes only. This is not intended as individual, psychological, or medical advice. Please proceed at your own risk and always defer to your individual medical or mental health care team. Basically, don't make it weird, guys. Right. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shit Your Shrink Thanks. Stepped on a pop top, blew out my flip flop, <laughs> cut my heel, had to cruise on back home. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> There's booze in the blender, and soon it will render <laughs> the frozen concoction that helps me hang on. Wasting away again in Margaritaville. Pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> Searching for my lost shaker of salt. Shaker of salt. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So today we're wasting away again in Margaritaville. I think we wish we were doing that more so than anything. That would be lovely. Yeah. I've been just thinking about a big, tall margarita. That's all all I think about all day, (laughs) every day. I fantasize about it. It gets pretty dirty. (laughs) Anyway, so welcome to our podcast, everybody. Shit or Shrink Thinks. As a reminder, our podcast does have an Instagram, a Twitter, a Gmail, shityourshrinkthinks at Mm gmail.com, a Patreon, www.patreon forward slash shityourshrinkthinks. And we also are hopeful that you will like, subscribe, and rate and review us if you are loving what we're- The more you follow and rate, the, the better traction we get. And we do have a Facebook page, we Shiitake. Do. Yes, yes, Shiitake. <laughs> shiitake, your shrink thinks. Yeah. <laughs> we we're trying to get around some rules there. <laughs> so as you guys obviously know, we are still learning about each other on the podcast, and we're just trying to share a what's good story of the week with you all. So what is good with you this week, Michaela? Well, my what's good is relevant to our topic. Mm-hmm. So it's just a little little thing. So your trauma is not your fault. But your eventual healing is your responsibility. Ah, yes. I'm going to say a little louder for those in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Your trauma is not your fault. But your eventual healing is your responsibility. Amen to that. I feel like today's world, so many people act as though their triggers are other people's responsibility to tiptoe around. And that's just frankly bullshit. And it frustrates me because it's building this weird culture that doesn't really allow for authenticity, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Mm -hmm. Um. It's, it's okay to have things that trigger you, that upset you, and it's good to communicate those things to those people who com- who matter. Tell them that, you know, this is something that's upsetting. Set a boundary. Ask them to be kind and understanding. And if they end up using that against you or trying to turn that into a joke, here's your sign. Right. Right? right? Like <laughs> GTFO. GTFO. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But ultimately, it's still up to us to understand what our triggers are and to work on healing it. Use those triggers as opportunities to explore more about yourself. Dissect mm-hmm. it. Learn. You know, maybe that thing won't upset you as much in the future, or at least you won't respond as intensely (laughs) in the future. Yeah, I think that is a great point. Everything that we can't always control external variables, but we can decide what we want to do 
Right. And there is some power within our hands that way. And I think it's useful to, I think that makes, can make us feel more empowered that we have choices that we get to make. Yeah. And so you've alluded that is actually what our episode is about today. It's our part two of trauma and it's about kind of more healing from trauma rather than the, just the diagnostic pattern. So awesome. I love that. What? Yeah. I just, I, I kind of came across it and thought that it was relevant. I think very. My what's good is totally unrelated. <laughs> I, I love it. Throw it at me. What you got, Sunny? I have play. I've been playing a video game called The Ghost of Tsushima, oh. and it is. I am a samurai in this video game. This video game, and it's about one of the Mongol invasions of an outlying uh, island in Japan, mm-hmm. and it's about this dude who was being trained to be a samurai, but basically gets into sneaky assassin fighting techniques. Oh, okay. Yes. And I thought it was really cool because built into the game, there's kind of like a little mental health component where Ooh. he goes to one way to get extra health for your character is to find something called a hot spring and you do a mindfulness exercise at the hot spring. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so he sits at the hot spring and it gives you two options of what you want to contemplate. And so like one of the options will be contemplate sake and then one will be like contemplate mortality. And I'm always That's like, awesome. contemplate sake. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds more fun. Yeah, yeah. Or um, there's also an option to when you're getting gear there's a type of like headband that you can wear that's decorative and one of the things you do in order to get the headband is you sit and you do something mindful and you compose a haiku and oh that's cool yeah so you compose haikus in the game i like that even even the great assassins have to use their their mindfulness therapeutic skills to survive in the world (laughs) and it's all about i really like the concept of the game it's about balancing kind of light and dark and that kind of more fire energy with that more subtle energy and it's about making decisions mindfully equipped so i just thought that was really cool that, that is that's cool in they, a video game heck yeah i know Isn't and that they're weird? actually like forcing you to like pause your character for a little bit yeah. and like you know contemplate yeah 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 so I know. much as go 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 do the thing do the thing but you you have to slow down every now and again yeah the great assassins need a beat yeah <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's cool <laughs> i know yeah i know that's my that's my what's good of the week that's awesome so what did you do for your outside of podcast experiment and how did it go Okay. (laughs) I did do it. It just wasn't – I did it more in a way that was mental for myself rather than a way that changed anything in the outside world. Fair. So my homework was to just remember to diagnose more specifically the difference between PTSD and trauma and stressor-related disorders. Right. So I tend to be more uh, hmm, liberal with my application of the term PTSD. So I'll just say, that close enough, that's PTSD, because we treat it relatively the same. Right, yeah. And this week, I just noticed the differences between what technically would have been a trauma and stressor-related disorder, what technically would have been an adjustment disorder. And I realized that just noticing on my caseload, true PTSD is a lot more rare than the amount of times that it's actually diagnosed. Right. And just... Just being aware of that because of the system that I work in, it's not, it doesn't behoove me to change a lot in the actual chart. Right. It's actually more beneficial for the client to have the official. It, yeah, yeah. The official title. Mm-hmm. But it just, you know, it makes sense why it would actually be a little more rare than what right. I was actually doing. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, there's a lot of categories you have to meet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I wanted to, I actually, this came up in a different meeting I was in this week, but I just wanted to retouch on this idea of that 
there isn't a hierarchy of disorders. Oh, gosh, no. So I think there's this new <laughs> newfangled idea. There tends <laughs> to be, a, again, an idea propagated on social media or just in the media in general that certain disorders are more severe and they're, they mean more and they're more valid because mm. they're serious, right? Oh, Atlanta. I know. And some of these lately, I think the in vogue one, it used to be bipolar disorder. That was one that was a really popular hot one. And now I'm noticing it's been PTSD. Hmm. So it's almost like people kind of come in and say, well, I want to be diagnosed with PTSD because this validates what has happened to me. Yeah. Even though, because we all know that things that happen that are very stressful are they have an effect yeah Yeah. and we want to be validated for these things and i noticed that some people it mean it's really important for them to have the label of ptsd Mm -hmm. because i think in some ways it says this was really serious and it hurt me a lot yeah but it's funny because when we're diagnosing it as professionals on the other end there's not a hierarchy right like if we were to diagnose oh well you're depressed because of the trauma that happened or you have anxiety disorder we're not like one is better or worse no. than the other <laughs> or one is more severe than the other or one is it's just um different reactions so right. it, it would be i was using a medical diagnosis comparison this week where i said just because one person has liver failure or one person has heart failure because of like they took the wrong drug for a long time. Right. It's still, you know, it's a still same origin. It's still point. the reaction uh-huh. from the sub <laughs> Yeah, the issue. Yeah. <laughs> Both are not good, man. Right. Like and it's it's okay to have one or the other. One is not better or worse. You just treat them slightly differently. Right. And so the diagnosis matters. But I think that people people get wrapped up in this well this is what it means to me or kind of tie a piece of their identity to that Mm -hmm. and it's um not that anybody as a practitioner would want to be diminishing what you experienced it's more just trying to get accuracy so that people can give you the right tools right yeah so i don't know if you've noticed that that it's like an in vogue sort Mm -hmm. of yeah yeah people yeah I, i i think people want the label because it can provide certain things unfortunately yeah yeah or or like you said there's some validation there as well but it's still validating that you developed a depressive disorder from your experience or like a generalized anxiety like that's still like valid you still had a legitimate bad response i guess it was still yeah and for those of us uh, who got ptsd from the experience we're like nah this you don't want this you don't want this man no it's not actually fun no i had a friend once say it's not the olympics of suffering like nobody gets a gold medal for right things that they have suffered most right and so i hope that that comes off as compassionately as i mean it i just mean it that everybody has something go on and there's not a better or worse it's just different yeah again everybody's a little bit different so we're all going to respond a little bit differently to the traumas and stressors that were faced yeah and you know even biologically right i mean on every flipping level we're Mm -hmm. a little bit different and Mm -hmm. it's not one thing is better than the other it's Mm -hmm. just different yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely yeah what about you how'd your homework go well mine was also to kind of do a bit of a review on my client and make sure my diagnosis was on point and i'll be honest i kind of half-assed it (laughs) (laughs) you Uh, didn't whole ass it i didn't whole ass it no 
Uh, I did clarify and adjust a few kind of diagnoses that I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah, like this, this is <laughs> Samson. I'm way off. You know, <laughs> like we're not there anymore. This doesn't quite qualify anymore. But there were a few times that I just was just a little too slammed to really take the time and like pull out the DS and be like, okay, is this what's, you know, mm-hmm. to really dig in deep and clarify. Mm-hmm. I didn't fully have the time I wanted to. But yeah. I, so. You know, a half ass, I suppose, is better than no ass. (laughs) (laughs) Single butt cheek is better than zero. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I agree with that totally. So last week, as we said, we chatted about what the different types of trauma and stressor-related disorders were and kind of the diagnostic criteria for that. Mm -hmm. And this week, we're going to go more into an overview of the types of treatment that we use for trauma-related disorders. So first, we're going to talk about what general things make a good treatment for a trauma-related concern. You know, just an overview of no matter what the treatment is, it will have these kind of commonalities in place so that you can know you're getting something good for yourself. Right. Yeah. And really, all good treatments for any diagnosis really does try to meet the client where they're at and really focus most on the symptoms that that client finds the most distressing. Mm -hmm. So again, what they come in with and say, this is the thing that's bothering me most. Mm -hmm. That's where we want to start. Even, you know, diagnoses or not, maybe that's only a small factor of that diagnosis and there's some bigger fish to fry. But if that's what's most distressing for that client, we want to start there. Mm -hmm. And for trauma treatments, there tends to be kind of various phases throughout the treatment that the client kind of works through. Mm -hmm. Typically, that first phase, we're really trying to focus on helping the client resolve any issues, maybe like substance use, daily stressor stuff, trying to address those things that they're maybe avoiding, helping them learn maybe even just how to begin to label and understand and tolerate emotions. You know, that emotional tolerance is a really big hurdle that takes a long time to kind of jump through. And before we even dive deep into any kind of trauma, we really want to have them have an understanding of how to process and manage and understand and tolerate those emotional and physiological reactions, you know, teaching them how to relax their body and de-escalate. Very much. Yeah. So phase one is really about stabilizing somebody. So if we're doing a phase-based trauma approach, we might have three phases. I'm ballparking that. And so like Michaela is saying, the first phase is very much Do you have what you need to survive emotionally? How can we bump up your emotional IQ a little bit? And how can we give you the basic skills that would be useful across any condition or even just living, not even just condition (laughs) focused, but how how you tolerate label emotions and are you stable enough to do this next phase? Yeah. Yeah. Because then in the in the second phase, we want to actually try to directly start to process that trauma or traumas. We want to actually start to dig into the what happened. And you really don't want to cut open that wound when yeah. you haven't yet taught them how to seal it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we got to have basics on board here. Right. Yeah. yeah. You really kind of have to get those basics first before we dig, dig deep into that. Mm-hmm. And then the third is really that you would, I would say, close up the wounds and it would be more about relapse prevention. Mm-hmm. So it would be about hey, how do we prevent you from going back to the place that you were right. again? How do you label things in advance before you get there? Right. And also we might be even more focused on wellness. So I've had some folks where we we resolve a lot and now we turn an eye more towards like sleep patterns or scheduling exercise or nutritional development. So it's more about getting 
past a point of just surviving and more to a thriving area yeah, that's usually kind of right. the third and when wing. to see when those red flags are starting to pop off and we need to you know before we fall back into old habits how do we how do we stop it before you know before the avalanche begins yeah it's like <laughs> it's like if you were <laughs> if it, let's assume this was real estate so phase Ooh. one is that you're finding the location of the home that you want Phase two is you are actually building the home. <laughs> and then phase three is you're decorating. Yeah. Right? You're taking it from a house to a home. Fair. So this is kind of how we would do a, a good trauma treatment. Yeah. And you can kind of skip through or go back through different phases or do them in kind of different orders, again, depending yes. on what the client needs. But I, I generally think that first phase, to me, takes the longest time, and it's the one we end up going back to. Yes. I don't know how many times, because yes. we have to relearn those skills and reintegrate those skills. And, you know, something else kind of pops off, and we're like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's go back to the basics again. Like, we have to... <laughs> Very much, yeah. yeah. So, God, it's like a rule as a trauma therapist that some bullshit is going to happen to the client yeah. in the middle of trauma therapy. Oh, my it's gosh. so annoying. <laughs> like, somebody is going to die. Something, some, Something's going to burn Pop down. Yes. Yeah. And then we have to go back to step one of, okay, let's actually proc practice how to do these emotion regulation skills yeah. and then you can pop back to step two of trauma processing when the right. person's life has cooled down a little bit but it is flexible um there mm -hmm. are there are ways to like you might be in phase one for six weeks and you start phase two for three or four and you have to go back to phase one yeah yeah <laughs> and that's okay for a little while and again you might be in phase three and you might dip back to phase two because um maybe you realized there was actually a couple more traumas in there right. that you wanted to yeah revisit and need a little cleaning up and polishing up mm -hmm. and so it's okay to jump back and forth we really do that's that's really quite okay yeah and typically you know an evidence-based pra practice is generally involved. You know, a lot of people do want to use the evidence-based practice, but we, again, we don't have to stick to the strict protocol, but we do want to at least utilize the skills from those treatments. Yes. And so we have different, we're going to walk you through what it means, but the first phase tends to be something like dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, something called STARE, or something called motivational interviewing. We'll go through that yeah. a little bit. And STAIR stands for Skills Training in Effective and Interpersonal Re Regulation. Glad you knew that. I had to I look it up, it dude. STAIR. <laughs> I had to look it up. I was like, wait, what is the actual meaning for that one? <laughs> uh, and then the second phase tends to be something like prolonged exposure therapy, written exposure therapy, cognitive processing therapy, EMDR, which I have no idea what EMDR stands for. Eye, Eye movement, movement desensitization, and reprocessing therapy. Okay, gotcha. I'm yes. really glad you said that. <laughs> or um, contextual trauma therapy is another one. Mm -hmm. And then phase three is that we kind of start to combine these things in a really special, we might even do like more health psychology tricks, but phase three is a hodgepodge a lot of the time. Right. And again, I think generally most practitioners are using a combination of a few of these. It really depends on the person and, again, what symptoms they're struggling with and what things they really want to learn or mm -hmm. lean in. Mm -hmm. um, but a, a lot of clinicians kind of, like you said, use a hodgepodge. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, in, in the academic world, it's very um, manualized. There's yes. very strict kind of 
protocols. It's, you know, 12 sessions. Right. And at session one, we do this. And at session two, we do this. And at session yeah. three, we when do this. When you're specifically trained in these protocols, they they have you do a few therapies with people where it's very strict on that. Yeah. And I think part of the reason, well, part of the reason is just for research, making sure that they're controlling the research studies. But clinically, I think one of the reasons why they have, they make you go through at least a couple of the protocols to make sure that you can do it before flexing it mm-hmm. is that they want to make sure that you actually understand as a clinician what it should, here's the purest form of it. Yes. And then here's how then you, you can, can branch out. Yeah. Yeah. Which it. A lot of us can handle the responsibility of branching out very early on. That's like not a problem. But there are the rare few of us who need a lot more guidelines. And yeah. so that is part of the reason why there are some very manualized, strict protocols out there. But it's not – you're not going to encounter that as commonly if you're in the yeah. community receiving therapy. Yeah. But to each their own. I mean, some people really like to focus you know, focus in and say, I'm this kind of therapist. And they really strictly follow that protocol, which is okay. I mean, and some clients love that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like really (laughs) organized clients who are kind of achievement oriented. They have a little bit more anxiety. They want some rules. I want a deadline. How long is it going to take? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like on some level, I, that makes sense. I mean, I would feel trapped by that as right. we've discussed, but I think a lot of people do like that. So yeah. it's, your therapist going to kind of offer you both. So let's start with the most common forms of trauma-focused treatment, which tend to include the – this is the second phase, which we talked about, which is cognitive processing therapy, prolonged exposure therapy, written exposure therapy, and EMDR. I also put contextual trauma therapy in there. Um, we won't talk about that extensively, but just – Suffice to say that that can be kind of a combination of all three of the phases. <laughs> That's that, and it's kind of newer. So yeah, I was gonna say that that does seem to be a newer one. And yeah. Until you had noted it, I actually was kind of like, wait, what is this? Yeah. Like I, all the other ones, I was like, okay, okay, it's, yep, I know these. Yeah, it's a combination between. It, it's like if you combined all three phases, then it's just this one thing called contextual trauma therapy. So it's not like an. It doesn't feel new to me. It's a combination between you know, emotion regulation techniques, then some exposures, and then some relapse prevention. So just as if it were one. And Sunny is definitely the expert in these trauma treatments. So she will probably be doing a lot more of the explanation on on what the details are, because my my understanding is a little more basic. And and again, I might throw a few concepts in from here and there. And and there's different, you know, like the DBT and um, act those kind of ones I use a lot but these other ones I I don't quite play with as much so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really in the mix with this stuff yeah yeah, yeah. you're, you're like yeah. you're real deep in it yeah I'm deep, I'm deep in it yeah uh well I mean and and that's the thing like I think some people tend to market themselves as like I do this one and I appreciate this one best and and there's kind of like turfs and camps <laughs> and that's wild to me yeah. I don't I don't really I'm a I'm a citizen of the world baby <laughs> <laughs> I like to try kind of different things dabble in different things so yeah. I will present to you kind of all equally and what I found is that it's client preference I was gonna say I think it really depends on the client and what things like work for the client I mean there are certain skills that I think are hugely effective but if that client does not lean that way I mean, there are some clients who just straight up refuse mindfulness stuff. Yeah. 
Like, you know, oh, they straight that used, <laughs> that used to be me. <laughs> <laughs> they straight up refuse, you know, certain skills or tools. So it's like, okay, well then I'm gonna throw something else at the ball and we'll yeah. see what sticks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and sometimes you think you're really gonna love something and it just doesn't work for you. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. so I'll I'll start with the first one. The first one is called cognitive processing therapy. Mm-hmm. This is done for PTSD. I've also done it for other specified trauma disorders. <laughs> I've also kind of done it for a adjustment disorders it's for trauma related disorders it was developed at a place actually where i i'm not going to give a lot of information about this but part of my graduate training was at the place where this was developed that's cool yeah yeah it is something (laughs) (laughs) all righty then (laughs) something happened there and i learned stuff there uh so i know it pretty well uh that being said i would say um i'm not it is Typically, in the purest form, it is 12 sessions. The mechanism of change, how you, quote, get people better, is through looking at the beliefs that they developed Mm -hmm. from the trauma, called schemas, and attempting to challenge beliefs that are no longer helpful to the client or thoughts that are no longer helpful to the client. Right. Um, So these are beliefs about themselves I'm a failure. Yep. I can't trust my judgment. I'm a piece of crap. Self-blame and guilt mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Or overgeneralized beliefs about the world or other people. Mm-hmm. And we start to look at are all public situations dangerous? And we start to use a lot of our challenging techniques. If you were to reflect back on the episode where we talk about thinking about thinking mm-hmm. and we talk about challenging thinking patterns, this is the same sort of thing that we use. Yeah. So in some of the protocols, you would have somebody, the first little grouping is you identify the traumas, then you, or trauma, then you write an impact statement. Why do you think this belief, why do you think this trauma happened to you? Mm -hmm. And how has it changed your beliefs about yourself, the world, and other people? Mm -hmm. From this impact statement, you pick out something called stuck points. Yeah. These are beliefs and thoughts that keep the, the person underlying, yep yeah. the ones that keep popping up yeah exactly that that prevent them from from doing the things that they love and being the person they want right. to be that's really triggering the avoidance kind of stuff mm-hmm. sure in the newer version you do not have to do a trauma account where you write about the trauma itself in the older version you do actually write about the trauma itself i prefer to do the older version then you would move on to challenging stuck points mm-hmm. through uh examining the evidence for it it's very much cbt that's what i was gonna say i've always kind of looked at this as like the trauma specific cbt very much you know it's cognitive behavioral therapy but with the trauma twist where we're really honing in on the specifics of the trauma and the beliefs associated to that yes so for example if michaela told me i think that um, it's my fault that some person was injured when i was an emt And, Mm. you know, we can kind of see, like, clearly this is not true, but this person is blaming themselves a lot. We might have them take the stuck point, this is my fault, and we might have them challenge it by asking what's the evidence for it being your fault and against, what's an alternative viewpoint, how would other people see this event, Mm -hmm. play the tape forward, what would have happened if you would have done something differently. So we both discuss it in session and we do written practice. So these sorts of This one tends to be really good for people who like written stuff and who like that more organizational piece and maybe who don't want to go like whole ass into it right off the bat. They don't want to just be like, 
let's just rip the band-aid off and just talk <laughs> about it. They kind of want to like sit back a little right. and and maybe sometimes too this can be good for people who don't remember all aspects of the trauma okay. as well. Sure. Um so sometimes you will find that people kind of delete certain files when they're yep. really stressed out. Yep. And so a a protocol that doesn't involve in-depth processing might be good for them yeah uh or if there was like drugs and alcohol involved sometimes people don't remember all pieces of it so this is and it seems very cerebral cerebral as well you know it's very cognitive focus which for some people they prefer that over you know the really emotion focused you know some of these other yes types of treatments so for people who are you know up in their head they're like all right i like this i can get down with yeah i can overthink about this yeah (laughs) i love that i love analyzing it it's a very analytical perspective Yes, and right. some people like that. Right. And this this would not be my personal thing. I can deliver this. I don't think I would this would not be my selection for what I received personally. Mm. Um Fair. but that is one. Anything else you wanted to add about CPT? Nah. Dope. <laughs> nah, dog. I think we got it. <laughs> so the next one, I'll just kind of combine them are prolonged exposure therapy and written exposure therapy. I'm going to keep this one fairly short. It's almost exactly what it sounds like. Right. Which is you expose the person to both feared memories, Mm -hmm. so the trauma event, and feared behaviors, things they're avoiding, in order to help them relearn what is safe by eliminating avoidance. Right. So? Yeah. You're confronting the fear or the situation in a really systematic way. Yes. In, in Key. relatively safe circumstances. Yes. And, you know, reliving that memory helps you emotionally process that traumatic experience and make sense of it. You learn that you're thinking about that traumatic experience, you know, learning kind of that it's not actually dangerous, that being upset or anxious is not dangerous. So you become a little less fearful of the situation or situations that remind you of that trauma. And you kind of just also just learn how to better handle your fear and anxiety and feel better about yourself, you know, feel a little more confident in in your own abilities and capabilities. That is absolutely true. Couldn't have said it better. Honestly, a big part is it's just relearning that you are not actually in the trauma Mm because your brain is thinking it's providing this really strong fear response, thinking I'm actually here. Right. And then what happens is people remove themselves from the memory or from the behavior, which then reinforces the fear saying, oh, yeah, it's a good thing you removed yourself. You should be afraid of that. Keep being more afraid. Yeah, because now you feel calmer because you removed yourself. Yes. So then the fear starts to overgeneralize. Yep. So we say that if you get stung by a be in this podcasting studio eventually you'd avoid the podcasting studio then the hallway that led to the podcasting studio then the house that the podcasting studio was in and so the fear generalizes right so if we were doing prolonged exposure therapy on this bee sting let's say it was very traumatic and you almost died well i would expose you to the memory of the bee sting i would have you sit in session with me Close your eyes. Talk about the event of the bee sting repeatedly. Mm-hmm. We would look at your anxiety levels and we would work on exposing you to the memory on hot spot areas. Mm-hmm. And each time you repeated or rehearsed the story and then listened to it outside of session, it would actually diminish your fear over time because your brain was now pairing the scary story with safety. With, oh, actually, I'm safe when I approach this memory. I'm fine. It doesn't need to be something that I am afraid of. Right. 
we would pair this in the treatment with behavioral experiments where I would yes. have you sit in the parking lot right. of the house. Eventually you're going to go go expose yourself to situations. <laughs> yep, in right. the house. And it does have to be kind of over a certain timeline, but we start you really, really low on the right. anxiety yeah. threshold. Yeah, if you were scared of snakes, we're not dumping you in a whole pit of snakes no. from the beginning, guys. Like people, I think, no. think prolonged exposure and they don't actually think the prolonged. They just think, yeah. <laughs> they're just like, oh shit, you're going to drop me in it right now. <laughs> No, it's it's a much more gradual. Yes, it's yeah. very gradual. And we can go kind of back and forth too. And I think it it freaks people out and it's scary at first. But with a good therapist, it's not – they should help lead you into this. Mm-hmm. It's not just kicking your ass into the deep end of the pool. It is we're going to walk out and floaties in the shallow end first. And right. then we'll slowly move you with floaties. Right. On different days. On different days. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's, it's yeah. really over time. It's really not that bad. Right. Um, and so anyway, so we'd have you sit in the parking lot of the house and eventually go into the house and eventually go up the stairs. And each time we would wait, we would know when you're ready for the next step when we've done it so many times on the first level that your anxiety has cut in half. Right. So this is prolonged exposure therapy in yeah. a nutshell. And written is, you know, the written exposure therapy is similar only with writing. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> we don't always have to read it as the um, examiner or as the practitioner. We right. can just have you write it and that's one way to do it that's a little easier for people to get into maybe to not have to talk about it directly yeah but it's still an exposure yeah and again ultimately within this not only are we discussing how you think about the trauma but we're discussing yourself and other people and just those situations in your life you know it's, it is although it's prolonged exposure is very very specific on the trauma itself we are encompassing the other aspects involved as well our beliefs about things yeah absolutely so what is our last kind of area that we have called emdr so emdr is the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy so that involves talking and bilateral stimulation typically eye movements So this aims to reduce distress uh, and negative beliefs associated with the past overwhelming and traumatic experiences that you're having. And they use it with, you know, kind of maybe moving a finger back and forth or tapping on as as you're kind of doing the the exposure process, Mm -hmm. you're having kind of this tapping or finger or eye movement situation going on. Yes, absolutely. And I think there is some part of it where there is some looking at belief systems that arose from the trauma. So it's kind of like a little bit of a hybrid between there's mostly the exposure part, but you don't actually say the exposure out loud always. You don't have to say the exposure out loud. You can just kind of imagine it. Bring it it to your memory. Yeah. And then a therapist would kind of sit in front of you and maybe move something back and forth like a ticker in front of your eyes. And the theory is, is that this This is called bilateral stimulation, and there is something in the bilateral stimulation that helps you process the memory further. Right now, there isn't – the jury is still out on the evidence basis for the added bilateral stimulation, like the tapping or the um, eye movement back and forth. But much like the other two therapies, there's great evidence for examining your beliefs before Mm -hmm. and after the trauma, doing some behavioral experiments, doing value-based activities. Right. So those are- the exposure piece, again. Yeah. Yeah. And the exposure piece, yeah, just reducing avoidance. So really what these three things have in common is you are looking at it, 
you are processing it in a safe way and you are getting back into things you used to enjoy. Right. That's what really these three things have in common. As you can tell, I float between them. <laughs> uh, I, I am not rigid about adhering to one versus the other. Uh, the only thing I'm really rigid about is if I'm doing a prolonged exposure, I won't just – I'm not going to just cut that off in the middle because what that can do is it can um, – increase somebody's symptoms temporarily and we really do need to finish the exposure in order Mm. to help them calm down yeah and it's really important that your therapist before they do this they make sure that you're agreeing to this sort of thing and they will give you some kind of informed consent that says hey dude pretty much every time we talk about our trauma you're gonna have a little more nightmares you're gonna have a little more hyper vigilance yeah you're gonna be thinking about it more and feeling more emotions yep that is not a bad thing yeah it just feels more intense on the front end and it does eventually resolve but you got to give it a couple of weeks of weekly therapy and doing all your Mm -hmm. homework for it resolves the problem is is that people drop out because yeah. they're freaked out yeah because they've got re-triggered mm-hmm. and they're like oh my gosh this is what i wanted i, I thought tra- you know therapy ah! was supposed to calm me down yeah like, okay yeah. but but we're reopening that wound yeah. that's why yeah you know we're trying to pick out the debris you know mm-hmm. so it doesn't scar over again and yeah and that reopening is a painful process it's a little yeah. difficult at first yeah exactly yeah. and so we talk about that and we we kind of try to do it sensitively and delicately but to some extent there is some emotional intensity that is Mm -hmm. that accompanies a trauma processing therapy which is normal and okay and as long as you're doing it safely and consensually with the therapist it can be actually really rewarding and helpful so yeah yeah, different different strokes for different folks with these therapies though definitely but let's say however that these very trauma focused treatments aren't a good fit why might they not be a good fit and what could you try instead so sure yes exactly a very specific protocol might not be for you So one reason a trauma protocol would not be used is if you're still in a trauma. Yeah, guys, if you're still in an environment that's unsafe, then we need to focus on the safety. Yeah. We can't process the trauma while in an unsafe environment. It's just not going to be effective. Yeah. I've had people who are currently homeless who come in and they say, hey, you know, I'd really like to process my trauma from childhood. And I say, okay, do you have stable housing? And it's it's kind of more wide. actually am threatened every day and almost murdered every day. Mm -hmm. And so my mind as a therapist is, okay, we super need to deal with getting you housing. We super need to deal with getting you safety. Yeah. And we want to make sure that your basic needs are taken care of first. Mm -hmm. Or other people will come to me while they're still in a domestic violence relationship. Domestic violence situations. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll say, well, I want to process stuff from childhood or I want to process what happened earlier in this marriage. And if you are getting hit or if you are being emotionally abused when you go home, it's like you come into me with a gunshot wound. I take out the bullet. I put a Band-Aid on it. And you come back and you've ripped the Band-Aid off and, and also got you- like three more shots. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I can't. I can't help. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. A, it's a very frustrating experience. And also, we wouldn't want to challenge beliefs about safety when you're actively unsafe. Right. It just doesn't make sense to do that. Yeah. And this was really actually an issue often uh, doing individual therapy in prison. Yeah. We had to be very aware of the fact that these people were going to be going back out on the yard. And if they were raw and like in an emotional state, like we were placing them at risk to be taken advantage of or assaulted. Yeah. You know, those men can smell vulnerability, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, you know, you we to had to be, be really careful and diligent about how we tried to treat people that's a great that. point yeah 
That's a really great point. Yeah, you have to be in a certain environment for it. Another reason why a, a rigid trauma protocol might not be a good fit is you just don't like rigid protocols. <laughs> Another reason would be um, if your trauma is more like non-specific. Yeah, if it's yeah. more just stressors, but it's not a discrete event. So like chronic emotional abuse might right. not be a great fit. Yeah, for it'd be prolonged. pretty hard. Yeah, as I said, it'd be pretty hard to do prolonged exposure yeah. for that. Yeah, because yeah. it's not like you're going to pick out that one time somebody said you were a piece of shit and then just like go multiple over and over. That yeah. said slightly differently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a different flavor for each time you were told you're a piece of shit. Yeah. And you can't even remember all of it. And it's just this global feeling more mm-hmm. or it's a, it's a long-term relationship usually in that case you can fuse skills from all three of the trauma treatments yeah but you wouldn't pick a specific thing right and go over that again and again if it was chronic and not discreet right and if you're struggling with substance abuse you know we can't deal with this issue if i mean because that's a a form of avoidance Mm -hmm. you know and and that's also just very highly addictive we have to address that substance abuse first and get that cleared up and managed before you could potentially dive into the deep traumas yeah like we can do a we can do a little bit of um processing there's a protocol called seeking safety i'm not going to go into it at length right now but you can do a little bit of processing but it's more focused the very first phase is more focused on how do we get you sober at least four sessions because you have (laughs) to you can't be having you can't be on a Uh, let's say a central nervous system depressant because it's very important to be able to feel your feelings and be able to get you activated and a little anxious so that you can come down naturally and relearn your body can relearn how to soothe itself so when you're putting all these substances on top of the issue it actually makes things a lot worse and so we can help with some of the trauma trauma skills but you have to be sober in session at least Mm -hmm. and we would always be working towards increased sobriety of course that's just yeah yeah because again that that emotional tolerance we're wanting to to widen that emotional tolerance and if we are you know kind of cut off from that or numb from that due to the substances that we're taking then we're not going to be able to actually help you kind of experience and learn how to tolerate yeah those 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 waves yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and so we can also do full other alternative protocols as well sure So one of those, which I know you know a lot about, is dialectical behavioral therapy. Again, we're not going to go through the entire treatment today, but we'll give you some nuggets on what could be useful there. Yeah. So dialectical behavioral therapy really focuses a lot on mindfulness skills, distress tolerance skills, that emotion regulation, Mm -hmm. acceptance skills, and interpersonal effectiveness skills. Yeah. Communication. Yeah. Really helps. Yeah. Yeah. DBT is a great one. I weave it into almost all of my trauma therapies. Yes. I actually think I think everybody... I weave it into every therapy, yeah. honestly, at least some degree. Yeah. Especially, I mean, the emotion regulation, distress tolerance, interpersonal effectiveness. Uh, yeah. I, that I mean, almost every yeah. diagnosis needs a little bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I literally use the interpersonal effectiveness skills all day myself. Because I mean, I like yeah. literally am doing them all day for me because right. I know I have a temper and I have to be like, Okay, Sonny, let's walk it back. Slow down. Slow what, down. Is this? Right. what was that DBT skill again? And I will practice them myself. I find right. them very useful. Yeah. Stare is very similar to DBT. I'm not going to go into it, but it has, it's a shorter, I think six session-ish protocol where they talk about. eight. Oh, is it eight? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, there is a relational piece where mm-hmm. you talk about relationships and there is an emotion labeling piece and yes. an interpersonal effectiveness communication piece. Sound familiar? Very. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're really focusing in on dealing with your emotions in a safe and healthy way and dealing with the interpersonal situations effectively. Again, because a lot of times our traumas end up influencing the way that we're interacting with others. You know, we're not able to connect with our partners. We're not able to express ourselves because we don't feel safe, frankly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we need to learn how to be able to communicate effectively so we can get our needs met. Yeah, absolutely. And I may actually, I've kind of changed my mind about where I want to put the other two. There are two other ones called Mm -hmm. acceptance and commitment therapy and motivational interviewing. But I tend to do these, well, motivational interviewing you can do on the front end. Mm -hmm. But I do tend to see ACT and MI both at the back end, usually uh, when you are cleaning up things afterwards. Right. And motivational interviewing, frankly, I, I'm sprinkling that shit in yeah. all day, every day, no matter what the thing is, because basically we're just, that is a way to help motivate, encourage the change process. You know, we're, we're really using change language. We're really trying to help them focus in on what's the benefit of doing these things. You yeah. know, I know this is hard, but here's the end goal. Remember that we're working towards this thing. Right. Yeah. So we'll talk about, so we've kind of talked about like the front end being some DBT, CBT, those sorts of skills. Yeah. Then we've got the exposure skills more in the middle or the trauma processing skills more in the middle. So we'll talk about what the end would look like instead. The, right. okay, maybe you've already done the trauma-focused treatment and you're doing a lot better or you've worked through things on your own and you're pretty high-functioning and you want to do something different. Mm-hmm. There are kind of some more open-ended options. So acceptance and commitment therapy is really about being in touch with the present moment, mindfulness. Yes. Having some sort of diffusion from your thoughts, being aware of what your thoughts are and not buying every thought as reality. Right. It's about labeling your values and using those values as a compass for your actions. Mm-hmm. And really, it's about a level of, hmm, you know your emotions, but you have some detachment and ability to watch these things without yeah. just reacting. Yeah, it's it's that observer role where you're stepping back and observing the emotions. You're stepping back and trying to observe the thoughts and look at them a little bit more critically. But again, you're not losing touch necessarily with the present moment. You're still mindfully engage with what is occurring and you're kind of accepting that okay this is what's happening right now yeah but but you're learning not to let it overwhelm you and overpower you and again you're taking kind of committed actions towards those values Mm -hmm. that you you know the goals that you have in life you know i i want to have freedom i want to have connection okay so Mm -hmm. what are some things that we can do that help you feel that absolutely Absolutely. And just other, the kind of back end of trauma treatment tends to be like a little fluffier. I, I personally really like it. Yeah. So we might we might just do like lots of sessions on mindfulness. We might encourage you to go to yoga. Yoga is excellent for trauma. Mm, yoga, yes. yoga, do all the yoga. It's very good for trauma. Um, biofeedback, which is what we talked about in an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. We might do narrative processing, which is like writing stories and tales of your life yeah it's really kind of similar to the written exposure only you're reframing it and transforming the experience to write it as a like with meaning and like you're the hero of the story and and you're really like building it up into this cool yeah thing you're making your own folk tale you're making your own legend Um, i've definitely had 
clients where I really love to have fun with trauma therapy. I don't know if those two things can go together, but they do (laughs) for me. Where I'll say, okay, well, let's say you are a a hero, or let's say that you're on a heroine's journey, or let's say that you're the the supervillain of the story, whatever it is. Tell me the story of what you are and how you belong here and create a bad guy or a good guy, create something right. you're fighting against, create a struggle. And yes. the, the the stories are just they're beautiful. Awesome. They're, I, yes, yeah. I love it. Yeah. We can and on that note, we can do creative arts therapy. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of art therapists who do different things. And it's amazing sometimes what you can dissect from your own like creative just out of your brain, like, oh, like wow, that really does relate to this. Yeah. You know, it can be really uh cathartic. Poetry? Oh, oh, heck yeah. Poetry, painting, singing, very good. There's also you can become a peer support specialist. Mm. So if you are yes. doing really well or okay enough with your trauma that you're stable, sometimes being a wounded healer and helping other people heal, okay, first of all, you guys, you do have to have your shit a little together. Yeah, to you do have this. to be a little locked up to yeah, do this. Yeah, yeah, you do have to have your poop in a group. We don't want you just like we all as therapists have to go through our own stuff and make sure we're going through our own therapies or our own, like we've had to do introspection. So there has to be a level where you've done something about your stuff, but you can also go into peer support. Yeah. That's actually- and that can be really helpful. I mean, I yeah. think when you do get to connect with other people who have experienced something similar, not only does it validate your struggle, but then you're helping validate their struggle and it yeah. gives you some meaning and purpose. Like people really can get in, get yeah. in on that bag. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also had here bibliotherapy, and I'm a total nerd. I mean, when I have a problem, I hit the books, dudes. I, mm. I really, yeah. really cannot. There's research on bibliotherapy. You look up, okay, I think I might have PTSD. Well, let me read two or three books on this and kind of see what's going on here. And people will share their individual experiences. You can get a broad swath of different treatment options and tools and skills. Bibliotherapy, self-help books, baby. Yeah. Yeah, Heck yeah. Yeah. And sometimes even just reading fantasy books that are kind of, you know, related, have some kind of mental health theme or have some kind of, you know, there are different books that people can really resonate with and connect Mm -hmm. with. And that in itself, again, is can help you find your own hero story. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Books of poetry too, baby. Oh, I love I love these fluffy options. I really oh, yeah. do. I think we need to combine the science options with the fluffy options. Yes. I, and as you know, I love to weave folktale and legend <laughs> into, I think it's really important. Well, I, I feel like a lot of these people, they they their creative spark was like killed out during the trauma. And yeah. when they really... Cr- like tap into that the stuff that they create is so flipping beautiful like some of the poems and some of the things that clients have brought in just astounds me yeah i got some gifts this week i don't know if i showed you but there was one that was like a painting i'll have to show you oh you will have to show me yeah it was i mean stunning i just and i think that we want to nurture that creative spark i think too this is a whole nother episode that I just thought of in this moment, but there is a almost like a spirituality component to trauma mm, processing. Definitely. Where it's like, yeah, there's something there that this is like closer to a spiritual wound. Mm-hmm. Like it feels very deep um, mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And sometimes having some level of spirituality can be helpful. And by that, I don't mean necessarily religion, but I do mean something bigger than yourself, whether it's just nature, whether it's just stars and planets and the universe, but connecting to a greater meaning or purpose can be a really BFD for people who have experienced trauma. Yeah. There's got to be a why. Because with the trauma, you're, you're, you're small. You're, you've been broken down into such tiny pieces. And with with doing the spiritual stuff, doing the creative stuff, you become expansive. Yes. 
And Ooh, expansive. <laughs> wow, that was so nice. Thank I you, really like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's, I mean, that's a big healing process to go from some th- something small, weak, and vulnerable into something huge and expansive and courageous connected. and connected. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Trauma is very isolating and sometimes plugging into some kind of spirituality can be very all-encompassing. Sure. So it makes you large. Yeah. I think that's very important. I could, uh, whole episodes, when we go into the fluffy stuff, if you guys ever start <laughs> to pay us, we're going to get real woo-woo. So, because <laughs> we're going to be like, ha, psych, you thought we were scientists. Let's woo-woo it up. <laughs> oh, we'll throw the science in there. It's yeah, we'll, we'll, throw, we'll throw a little science in there for sure. So, so speaking of all of this stuff, what do we want to do, Sunny and Michaela, for outside of podcast experiments? Yeah. So I think, you know, going back to what my first little statement was, I just kind of want to be a little bit more aware of my own triggers and explore mm. a little deeper where they came from. You know, I think I've I'm not somebody who necessarily responds super intensely, but the other day, Sunny and I were on a little walk and I was like, that's a trigger. And then I was like, oh, shit. All right. (laughs) Why? Why though? (laughs) But why though? But why though? I remember one time I said something to you about a thing that had happened in the past and you were like, I don't want to explore that. I was like, cool, good, out, I'm out. <laughs> I think a lot of us, though, we don't, like, it's, we're not ready yet. Yeah. It has to be on our own timeline. There it are does. days where I'm like, mm, nope. Not, not today. today. Not like, today. Oh, there's a, there's a fence and a garden around that and a moat around that. Like, I'm not, I'm not I'm ready not approaching for that. that yet. No. <laughs> I'm ready for We'll that. approach the one over here that's yeah. a little less daunting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Trigger exploration. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. How about okay. yourself? I am actually, I've started this one a little bit, but I'm going to go back to yoga. Um, my body is, I just, it's lit up all the time, <laughs> like a Christmas tree. It's so tense and I carry, I am a, um, what would be known as a somaticizer. I don't yeah. really feel a lot of things but intensely. It, you but You feel it, it in the body. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. get a headache about it though. Right. Yeah. And you're going to have shoulder tension yeah. and a jaw tension yeah. and yep, and tummy stomach ache. ache. Yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. And I'm going to eat some cake about it too. And so when I go to yoga, it helps me connect to my body a little bit more. Cool, cool. And I find it is, it really eases all those like little painful areas. So for me, I did start it a little bit and I'm going to continue it. It makes me a better person. I say running makes it so I don't kill other people. <laughs> and yoga makes it so I don't hurt myself. <laughs> so uh-huh. I'm going back. I love that. Yeah. I think even just stretching, guys, I, yeah. I've been trying to stretch a little bit more. And it's, you know, back in the younger days when I did athletics, you know, you're kind of forced to stretch all the time. And and it's amazing how much just even giving yourself a moment to stretch. Yeah. Guys, it matters. just give yourself a second and stretch it out. Yeah, take a beat. Independent, athletic. <laughs> <laughs> a, little bit of Liz- a little bit of Lizzo on there. Okay, so you got a joke for me this week? I do. Okay, hit me. Did you hear about the kidnapping at school? No. It's fine. He woke up. Oh, my. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to hit you with one. My husband literally called us like 45 minutes before this and and was like, do this joke. This is the podcast joke this week. And I really liked it. But he didn't want to be on speaker. He didn't want Michaela to hear it. He wanted me to tell it to Michaela. (laughs) It has to be pretty funny because Sonny busted a gut. So I'm excited. Okay. Here it is. Okay. Okay. So have you ever noticed that there are pop tarts, but there are no mom tarts? Do you know what that's about? 
<laughs> no, it's the pastryarchy. Ah! I know you got That's me. So good. Yeah, he got me real good. <laughs> my my boo making jokes about the patriarchy. Gotta love you. Oh, Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, well, that is our podcast this week. We hope you guys treat yourself gently this week after these two trauma episodes. We know it's a little intense, so yes. hang in there, folkies. Take and it easy, one day at a time. Yes, <laughs> and we will see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Bye. Bye.